tragics. We're, we're weekend packers and, and we love That's to right. go to golf. And I, I think oh, that, I showed that, that, you guys that on the weekend. Yes, 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 <laughs> you did. We'll, we'll get to that shortly. I, I just, uh, <laughs> All righty, guys. Good evening and uh, welcome to another Tuesday night live with Golf Days Australia. Uh, brought to you by the netreturn.com.au, Dint Putters, Cobra Puma, and Sessionset.com. Uh, reminder for those guys that are with us live tonight on Facebook, if you've got a question at all for our guest, as we do every week, um, you can easily answer, uh, ask away. Um, just go down to the comment section below the video, ask a question, it'll come up. Um, if you go into the description of the video, you can easily click on the link there for StreamYard so that we can bring up your name and photo as well. That way we can uh, have a little shout out to you if you've got a question or a statement or anything like that that you want to go for. That's what uh, part of this process is. It's interactive and that's something that, you know, we bring to you guys and, and something that we're proud of as well. But obviously, if you're not with us live on Facebook, hopefully you're listening to us on the podcast app of your choice. So uh, we recorded our podcast last night looking at the action, plenty of action in the golf over the weekend. And, um, yeah, so make sure you jump onto your podcast app, subscribe, and listen away. So tonight's going to be a good one, so we'll rip into it. I am joined tonight by the one and only, again, DP Double Par. How are you, mate? I'm well, Nate Dog. How are you, buddy? Good. Look at that. You've uh, even got the microphone working. Oh, mate, it didn't work, actually. Again, DP Double Par. How are you? Here I am, and I'm... uh, Mate, I'm just making sure we're live. Just uh, accidentally turn the volume up instead of down. Here I am having a crack at you with your microphone and I've turned my audio up. Sorry, buddy. Hey, I remember my first live as well. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> You're a dead set rookie. What's hey, going on, DP? Anyways, what's happening in the world of double par at the moment? Just watering me grass today. Did I tell you, uh, I laid new turf. Santa yeah. Ana Cooch. Cooch. Reminds me of the golf course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When, when are we chipping on that? No, you're not coming. You're never invited to my joint. All right. No, hang on. The people didn't get online to listen to us dribble anyway. We've got a really good guest tonight. Um, I don't want to do. ruin ruin some of the questions, but I think he's a mate of Hendy's. He, I, I think he is a mate of Hendy's. I, I think that yeah. they were uh, – yeah, we're, we're going to get into that because there's some there's some good questions of him and Hendy spending some time together in uh, – in, in a village, uh, but don't give it away. In a village, in a, in a, in a village. village, in a village. The village people, yes. I think they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think bring him in. They Come were. on, bring him in. Yeah, get okay. him in. Okay, okay. we'll get, get him. Let's in. go. Let's go. All right, mate. Uh, tonight's guest. Uh, he's had six professional wins to his name. Three of those being on the European tour. Um, he's also as we're about to say and talk about, he's represented Australia at the Olympic Games in 2016. Uh, He was even the 36-hole leader at the Olympics. He played in the final group with Henrik Stenson and Justin Rose with millions of people watching. Uh, He's made 13 major appearances. Like, I could go on, but let's get him in here. Marcus Fraser, welcome to the Golf Days Australia podcast, mate. How are you? Boys, how are we? Good, Marcus. Good, mate. Good. Yeah, very well, very well. So, mate, down there in uh, in Victoria, how's things going down there? Yeah, just down here in jail in uh, Victoria. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's hopefully there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. But, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we can get back on the golf course Monday and get back to a little bit of normality and, yeah, we'll wait and see. But, uh, yeah, I think all the numbers are starting to head in the right direction, hopefully, and it's something I think they had to do. But uh, now everyone's had a gutful and they uh, want their life back now. So, it, um, yeah, hopefully we can... Keep uh, improving those numbers, but get uh, get some normality back. 
Yeah, yeah. I hope I hope that light is there. I, I I I just can't believe that you know I'm an hour and a half over the river and you know life's pretty much normal over here. And you know we're taking the flag stick out. We're playing like no, like normal pre COVID rules. Um, but you know just a few hours down down uh, your way and and you're in jail. So yeah, hopefully hopefully we do get back to normality and you guys can uh, get some golf going as well. That'd be good. But um, first up. We're going to get into a little ice-breaking segment. We call it the Quick Fire Part 5. So we've got five questions to reach the hole. First question, uh, do you have any golf particular superstitions? Uh, always mark my ball with a dollar coin, but tail up. So but, uh, no idea why, but, uh, yeah, somehow just started and have been like that for a while. It doesn't matter what dollar coin it is. It doesn't have to be a particular year or anything. No, no, just an Aussie $1 coin and that's it. Have you have you found a spot where you didn't have a dollar coin on you if you're overseas or anything like that? No, I've got about five or six of them just scattered. <laughs> you got them loaded up in the bag. Yeah, buried it. It's about the only money I've got. But uh, yeah, just got them, <laughs> yeah, just got them buried in the bag there to make sure there's always one there. Awesome. Uh, seven iron carry distance, no wind. Uh, one forty-eight. I'm going to say one forty-eight. Uh, Favorite movie. Uh, Jeez. Left field. So you think the golf questions are coming, and then we just throw a favourite movie in there. Oh, movie! Oh, gotta be a, gotta be boring like everybody else. So Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank. I knew Shawshank was coming then. Uh, DP, what's your favourite movie? Just uh, out of interest. We still in the PG time slot? <laughs> <laughs> We're never in the PG time slot, mate. <laughs> I don't know. That's a tough question, isn't it? I yeah, I got plenty. Um, probably Rain Man. Would you believe? Love a bit of Rain Man. Yeah. Nice. First tee box, standing over the ball, what are you thinking? Don't miss it right. Don't miss it right. That's, that's your miss, is it? Oh, that's my stock standard, yeah. So, it, uh, no, it's, yeah, I think just timing, yeah. No, it'd be just, uh, yeah, rhythm and timing. And last question, um, how many hole-in-ones? Uh, nine. Nine. Have not, Have not won a thing. No? No, not one thing. Had there been things on offer and it was just in the wrong round? Well, Switzerland a couple of years ago, um, every year, every par three in Switzerland had gold bullions, had cars, watches. The first year they didn't have one. I think it was on uh, the eighth. Hold out and went in there and it was a bottle of champagne, I think it was. So that was, it. That was Nine uh, once. So I think the year before was like a 25 grand Amiga watch or something. and Yeah. At, How uh, old were you with your first one? Uh, it was actually at Kingswood. Um, I was probably, you know, I reckon I was maybe 20 or 21. And how yeah. long since the last one? Uh, I reckon that might have been the one in Switzerland a couple of years ago. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, I've actually got a funny story. I don't know if I've got time for it, but my brother used no to fly in the region. He, uh, yeah, he had a whole yeah. one in Indonesia. And it was on the 17th hole, second last hole of the tournament. Jumped up on the bonnet of the car, had it, yeah, hold out. Um, they went in they said, oh, do you want the car or do you want the cash value of the car? And he said, I'll take the cash for sure. And they said, well, we need to take 1500 bucks off it because you scratched all the bonnet. So <laughs> <laughs> on the bonnet with all his bikes and this brand new Peugeot, he, uh, he yeah, scraped all the bonnet. So. <laughs> DP, you got your bonus question fired up? Bonus question is, what is the first course you're going to play on Monday if you can get on the golf course? Uh, Peninsula Kingswood North course. Very uh, that, good. 
that's where you're playing out of. Yeah, I was always a Kingswood member. Then the whole merger took place with Peninsula and um, been down there ever since. It's yeah, I'm not sure if you guys have been down there, but yeah, incredible facilities. So. Yeah, no, yeah. I haven't. I haven't played down there. Yeah, no, it's amazing. It's um, probably the best greens I've putted on anywhere in the world comfortably. So it's a uh, pretty special wow. place. Yeah, completely rebuilt the whole whole two courses, clubhouse, yeah, gym, pool, tennis, everything you can think of. It's uh, yeah, full country club. It sounds like uh, Leeton where Nate plays. <laughs> it does. It does very close to that. I'll tell you what, our greens are, uh, they're getting good at the moment. I'll tell you what, new new greenskeeper come out from Tumut, just started up and already seen the uh, the difference he's making. But, yeah, I'm pretty sure it'd be pretty close, if not on par. <laughs> you ever played at Leeton, Marcus? Haven't had the pleasure, no. I've uh, been over to Narandra and um, yeah. Narandra from Leeton. It's not yeah, 15, 15 minutes, yeah. Yeah, played. Used to play there a lot as um, as a kid, like school um, tournaments and that kind of thing. And I think we played a pro am there. One of my, I think my first year as a pro as well. And yeah, it was a pretty tight golf course in Aranda, isn't Yeah, it? great layout. It used to be one of the best um, country New South Wales courses, and then um, they let go of it a little bit, and they're trying to get it back now at the moment. So it is a good layout for anyone coming out this way. Um, DP, you're right for me to move on. Yeah, mate. Look. Um... Marcus, you talk about your nine hole in ones. We've got to probably ask this question: Is how many double pars have you ever had? Double pars. It sounds better than a ten, right? So, or an eight, or a six. Well, your boy Kyle, Kyle Stanley had a ten on the weekend. I think he made it on your Instagram page, didn't he? Straight away. Yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure. It would have been a few because I'd be all I'll be having a head off somewhere, and I will be tapping it around the hole trying to yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you about. I'm going to ask you about my most famous one. It was in the Olympics. Your mate Hendy had one. Do you remember that? Yeah, I think it was, it was only about nine holes in. I think wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's the best one ever. He loves it. He owns it. It's good luck to him. I think he he brought that up to us, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He told us. Yeah, we didn't that. even we didn't even know that. And he he put himself in for that one. Um, yeah. All right. So we mentioned before. We just mentioned about your junior playing. You know, this side, this Riverina area. Um, Coral boy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mum and Dad still live back there on the river, and yeah, it's uh, yeah. I think that's the uh, frustrating with this whole COVID thing. You can't get back there to, to go and see them and get back into Corowa. So it, um, that's a, the real frustrating thing. Yeah, how did you um, how did you get into golf? Um, we grew up on like a small hobby farm just outside of town, and um, to an older brother and a younger brother. Um, yeah, I think Dad used to play down at the local golf club, and. Yeah, we just sort of, I think, pinched a couple of his golf clubs and went out in the paddock and started hitting balls around the paddock. And then all of a sudden, we we started hitting balls around the house and then we'd come back the other way and he was at a tomato steak out in the paddock. And yeah, you play the front nine around one way of the house and then you come back around the other way for the back nine. And then not too long after that, Dad was at work and then Adam and uh, Jeremy, my two brothers, we we um, went and grabbed a mower and we mowed a green right in the middle of the back lawn and then dug a big hole and we had a bunker and... I think that gave Dad a coronary when he came home from work that we decided <laughs> to put a green, but it wasn't much of a green. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, we just – it was one of those things. We all – yeah, we all pretty much fell in love with the sport. Um, Adam and I, definitely, and Jeremy, my younger brother, he was he was one of those annoying brothers that any sport he played he was really good at. So um, he didn't really – he just sort of went and played and he was half decent at it. And, but, um, yeah, my older brother was a professional as well, and Adam and – did a traineeship in Corowa and um, played it up in Asia for a little bit. But, yeah, just uh, – yeah, once I got a club in my hands, I just fell in love with the game and that's all I wanted to do. 
And it's not a bad track down there, Coralwood. I mean, we're pretty yeah. pretty lucky with all the courses along the Murray with uh, Toke and Howlong and all, all the courses down there. And Coral is still in pretty good nick nowadays, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. It um, yeah, twenty seven I mean, holes, is it? Twenty seven, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, you got the old course down the bottom along the river, and then um, there's a, a new and nine, which is still thirty or forty years old, but um, it's yeah up the top and a little bit different to down the bottom. But yeah, all like great condition. Like it, every time I go home, it's it's spotless. DP. Yeah. So Marcus. Um... I get all the tough questions on the sheet. So you played golf from, from a young age, but I, I see you might have worked at a supermarket when you were growing up as well. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I left school, I think, halfway through year 11 because I felt like I knew everything. So um, I was never really given a chance to learn because I was told to stand outside all, all afternoon. So, <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it, it wasn't for me. And, um, yeah, it went uh, – I was work. I was – as a kid, you know, as you're doing country towns, you you got a job pretty at a pretty young age, and I was uh, getting trolleys and whatnot out of the, the car park, and then yeah, just uh, doing bits and pieces around the supermarkets. I left school and just did a bit of work in the supermarket, and then went to a furniture and carpet store, and and then uh, yeah, I think I, once I started improving at golf, um, I decided to I started travelling down to Melbourne, and then decided to move down to Melbourne when I was about. I think it was about 19, maybe 19 or 20, um, and then ever since then been down in Melbourne. So where did you um, where did you end up? Did you end up doing a traineeship, or how did you, how did you get into professional golf? Uh, I got came down. I just played pennant for Kingswood, um, and then um, I think kind of out of nowhere I won the Victorian Amateur Championship, um, and then that pretty much got me into the Victorian Institute of Sport, um, and then I had a pretty steady, I suppose, progression. Um, once I got in there and I got in the state team and um, and then got in the Australian squad into the Australian team and then it kind of just, it was when I first moved to Melbourne, I, I thought I might be able to turn pro, but then it just, things just probably went better than I thought they would. And yeah, all of a sudden after playing for Australia, I decided to turn pro and I think the end of 2002. So what yeah. age were you then? Uh, I think it was 23 when I turned pro. So a little bit later than a lot of guys now and I think yeah I didn't really probably I wasn't really too serious about golf until I was 18 or 19 and started coming down to Melbourne I hadn't really played any any in Melbourne at all any junior golf I just played some school golf and Murray District um, golf and that was about it yep. really back home. So you said you, you made you had the state team and the Australian team who were your your uh, team teammates? In the state team? Both, yeah. Give us some Yeah, they've so got like Brad Lamb, John Sutherland, Sutherland, Andrew Webster, um, Aaron Badley was in the team. I think he just he turned pro. He might have been a couple of teams that I was in. Um, yeah, and then Aussie teams, same sort of guys. Yeah, it, uh, yeah. I think Richard Moyer was in the squad, and I think when one of the Queensland boys, trying to show my age here, I can't remember any. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the squad was probably made up of maybe anywhere between 10 and 15 guys and there was always different teams that went here, there and everywhere. And, um, yeah, I think, yeah, probably Andrew Webster was probably the real standout when uh, I think he won like three or four national trial events one year before turning pro and then ended up getting pretty crook after that and didn't go on with it. But, um, yeah, a lot of guys that, uh, yeah, I was sort of just after Ogilvy and those guys in from Melbourne, um, Steve Allen and those guys. So I was uh, in that next probably wave after those guys. 
Yeah, okay. So you mentioned your three amateur wins. So you had the Victoria, you had Asia Pacific Championship 2001, and then the New Zealand amateur in 2002, yep. and then turned pro after that. Yeah. Yeah, we played um, played Eisenhower Cup um, up in Malaysia, and I actually went to European Tour School first stage before the Eisenhower Cup, kept my amateur status, played Eisenhower Cup, and then went back to Europe for second and third stage after that. So, um, yeah, like my last year as an amateur was pretty much a full-time amateur um, playing. I was working down in in Melbourne packing sunglasses and, uh, yeah, and playing golf as much as I could and, and trying to fund as much as I could. Not a bad uh, amateur resume there with those wins. Yes, yeah, it's yeah, it lucky. I think um, yeah, played a lot of Ivo Witten events and, and did really well and um, obviously making the state team and then the Australian squad and the Australian team was definitely highly – about six or seven Australian teams I was in. Um, but, yeah, definitely the Eisenhower Cup and, and Asia-Pacific were probably the two big teams. There's a three-man team for Eisenhower and a four-man team for, I think, Asia-Pacific. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, yeah really lucky to to get that. I think getting that experience of travelling and, and yeah. you know, living in hotels and that sort of stuff as an amateur really helped me once I turned pro to be able to, uh, yeah, sort of, Bit of a yeah, a bit of a head start, I suppose, by by having access to all that travel before uh, turning pro. Uh, just thinking, you know, talking about that at that age and being able to travel and play golf and start to think, you know, this this could be my career. How good is this? Is there some advice that you'd give kids at that age right now that are just starting to? I know it's a bad word to talk about at the moment, travel with COVID and everything, but. <laughs> Uh, are going through that process and starting to think about what's out there. Is there some advice or things that you would have liked to known about how exciting the travel is and, and playing golf around the world? Yes. I mean, it's definitely a lot different back then, I think. But, it, um, you know, it, like there's so much more online now that it's just become so easy to travel as well. You can be on a flight, you can book a flight in a hotel within five minutes, whereas... yeah. Um, we were still doing everything through travel agents when I first, uh, you know, and the, but um, yeah, I think the big thing, big thing for the guys at the moment is just play, just keep playing as much as you possibly can. It's all well and good to say that you want to work on your game to turn pro and all that sort of stuff, but I think you've just got to play and you've got to get better at playing. It's all, you know, I think some of the guys, some of the best players in the world don't have the best golf swings or they just know how to score and know how to play and, you know, they know how to turn a 75 into a 70 or a 71 and a, a 72 into a 68. That's the, the big thing, I think, for for me. But, um, yeah, travel, I think you definitely have someone that you can try and partner up with. Um, it's a pretty lonely sort of place out there when you're on the road, you're on the other side of the world. And um, I think, yeah, if you've got someone else, even if it's from another country, um I think having someone to partner up with, share a room with, or you know, you're eating dinner with, just to to have that made out on tour is pretty important. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you know, that that loneliness that you that you mentioned must be a big factor. And you know, how did you how do you deal with that when you're on the road? Yeah, I think exactly that. Like I was Wade Ormsby and myself were always really we both got cards at a similar time, and um, we didn't know each other before that. Um, and yeah, we became really good mates, and we, you know, Wade's one of my best mates now, and um, he's still playing over in in mm. Europe. Mm. So yeah, we'd, uh, we would share room, like probably of the. I think I played 
about 350 odd tournaments over there. I would have shared a room with Wade, probably 250 of them. So it uh, having a really good mate out there is really important. Um, and lucky, you know, I had I when I first went over to Europe, I had really good mentor in Peter O'Malley. He um, sort of took me under his wing when I first got there, and that was a massive help because you know, all of a sudden I was in 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 a spot that I wasn't I was out of my comfort zone, and all of a sudden you got someone there like and I, you know. At that age, you know, Peter O'Malley was a whole household name, still is a yeah. household name in, in Australian golf. And to have someone like that that basically came up to me and said, you know, this is what you can do, I can help you with this, I can, and didn't have to do that, but it was just to show us what kind of person Pom is. And, um, you know, very, you know, we've been really good mates for a long time, but it was just purely because of that. He went out of his way to, to help me. And he saw I was a young, probably naive um, guy turning pro. and. Um, yeah, he really, yeah, he really got me on my way, and yeah, very grateful. Yeah, yeah I think we, we've we touched on that a little bit when we talked to uh, Jason Scrivener over there. He was talking about you know the young kids that are coming over from Australia, and especially because of the COVID bubble and that how they were kind of you know looking after them. You know, the Zach Murray's and that, and just you know taking them under the wing, I guess, and that that's got to be a massive uh, you know a, a really good thing for a young kid like that to experience and, and have those mentors like you did with Peter O'Malley I think that's a brilliant thing and it's it's very interesting hearing about that as well I think a lot of people can think of golfers as you know just off in their hotel room just hitting balls hitting balls playing golf whereas that that social aspect and that loneliness is just such a something that normal amateurs wouldn't think about when they're thinking about how good traveling the world is and playing golf yeah, and that's where I think guys like Scrooge are really impressive because he he asks a lot of questions to the older guys that's out that are out there. So, I mean, there's a lot of young guys that just won't ask. And um, yeah, yeah, you know, like probably a lot of us when we first turn pro, you've been at the top of the amateur game and you think it's just going to be an easy transition, and um, you, you kind of feel like you probably know everything going into it. But you know, that's where I felt Scrooge was really impressive. That yeah, he was just asking questions all the time and wanted purely because he just wants to get better, wants to make his life better and wants to make life on tour a lot easier. And, um, yeah, he was – he really stood out, that's for sure. So you talked about uh, O'Malley being a bit of a father figure and, and travelling with Ormsby, but who was your golf idol, uh, Marcus? Who did you sort of look up to and inspire to be like? Yeah, oh, probably Norman, yeah, I think for – yeah, I remember getting up in the middle of the night watching Norman play majors and all that sort of stuff and, you know, obviously – he was the face of Australian golf. Probably, really, still is the face of Australian golf. Um, yeah, I think it. Uh, no one's really. Not many players have really changed the game over time. Like you know, guys like him. You know, he's in that. In a select few that. Um, yeah, really did change the game. The way he used to drive the ball and with that, with the equipment that he was using was. Uh, yeah, I think you talk. I remember talking to a lot of the guys over in Europe. Some older guys that just said Norman was just so much, so much better than everyone else when he was on. It was just frightening. He should have had a much better record than he ended up with, shouldn't he? Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? Like it, two British Opens that, um, I mean, he could have comfortably won a Grand Slam yeah. a couple of times, yeah. couldn't he? Yep. So, and and so. they keep talking about, I saw a thing where they keep talking about the the crowds that he would bring to the sand belt when, you know, when he was playing in Australia and just people have still seen nothing like it. No, I remember going down to watch him at Huntingdale playing the Australian Masters at five, six deep down the fairways, 15 to 20 deep around the greens and the tees, and you just couldn't get near him. You just, yeah. It, uh, Amazing. Yeah, he just had that aura. I've been lucky enough to play with him a couple of times and just has that aura about him. 
and uh, yeah, I mean, you could be hitting balls on the range, and he walks past, and you kind of feel him walking past. You just know he's there. You know, Tiger obviously has the yeah, same. The, thing. I was going to say he's the Aussie Tiger in that way. Then isn't he? You know, the exactly. crowds that he brings and that aura that he brings. Yeah. Um, what's he like in in real life? You've you've got to play with him a couple of times. Yeah, pretty quiet. Didn't really get much out of him, to be honest. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It. Uh, yeah, I played with him off at the Aussie PGA, and um, and I think again in China at BMW tournament in China, and yeah, didn't really get. But yeah, I think uh, it's one of those you know, the end of your career to to say that you played with someone like that. I've been lucky enough to play with Tiger and and Norman, so it. Um, yeah, pretty uh, pretty fortunate. They're the things that you kind of remember as well. It's actually interesting. I heard a uh, an interview with Norman the other day, and he's one of those golf nuts that can literally remember every shot he's made, the distance of the shot, what club he played into it, what the wind was doing. Are, are you one of those guys that can do that? No, I can't even remember what I had in the last round. In it, <laughs> yeah. so, um, I hit balls today, actually, and, yeah, I can't even remember what club I was hitting, so I'm not really <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I've got to ask Marcus, did you tell him up when you played with him? Or? Uh, <laughs> I can't. Remember. It was a time when uh, Leighton Hewitt was catting for him up at Coolum, so it, uh, I can't remember. I think I missed the cut comfortably. I, I think I made about thirty-five down one of those with uh, had water down the left. That um, yeah, that was the end of my life. Not not a biggest. No, it's DP. You've been close to that number. I had a thirty, a genuine thirty. I don't think yours is thirty-five. Yours is a yours is an exaggerated thirty-five. <laughs> His thirty-five was a nine, an eight or a nine. Yeah, it felt like your 30 is a legit thirty with a one putt. <laughs> oh, it was a two putt, but it definitely wasn't a six jab. It wasn't a six jab like Daddy Lee the other day. <laughs> so we've we've gone on your amateur, we've gone on your your idols, your people that looked after you, your travel buddies. We get into your professional career and. I think we touched base and Nate mentioned them before. Three European Tour wins, the BMW Russian Open, the first. Talk us through that. Yeah, it was one of those ones that I was playing Challenge Tour. Um, yeah. Obviously, over in Europe, and I got off to an ordinary start. We went to South America um, early on, then came back to Australia, then went to Europe and played some events and got off to a pretty good start. I'm on Denmark and Finland. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the following week after Finland, uh, we went to Russia and then won that. So that was co-sanctioned with Challenge Tour and Main Tour. So that got me straight on to Main Tour and, and was lucky enough to play over there for, I think, about 16, 17 years. So it's, uh, yeah, Russia's... That's a crazy heavy. year, 2003. Like, you know, you have those Challenge Tour wins. You've only just turned pro as well and then you win the Russian Open. That's a that's one hell of a year. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? Like when you turn pro, you, you want to get off to a fast start because... You, know, you get behind the eight ball and you, the credit card's only going to go so far. So um, definitely lucky to to get off to a fast start because it kind of you get that little bit of a bank um, to set yourself up. So it was you know really lucky that I played well and won some tournaments and um, got that experience. Probably more yeah, probably more the experience playing on the European Tour for the last six or seven starts for that year uh, to go into two thousand and four playing a full schedule. I had I'd already been out there for half a dozen events in 03. So to have that experience going into 04 was, you know, it felt like I had a little bit of a jump and, um, yeah, it sort of set me up for the rest of it. I've, uh, sorry, DP, I'm cutting you off here, but um, you won the Russian Open in a playoff. And I've just, um, I must have skipped this one, but you won the finish 
uh, open as well, the challenge in a, in a playoff with an yeah. eagle on the third extra hole. This is the one shot I can remember. This is uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was Lobweed. Take us through it. Yeah, Lobweed. I think it was the third playoff hole, and it was uh, Lobwedge from eighty-one meters. Um, landed about five short, downwind, rolled up, bang, and in the hole, and it was all over. Had he had he hit out already? Uh, I, th- I can't remember if he. No, I think he'd already hit. I think he. That was a drop, mic, mic drop, walk off. Thanks for coming. Yeah. I didn't have the you know, I didn't have the front to say yours is good, mate, pick it up. But, <laughs> what, yeah. he probably pinned it to like four foot or something, didn't he? Yeah, so it, uh yeah, that's that's one of the yeah, one of the few that I can remember. And the the Russian Open you won um as well in a playoff. Yeah, it was against Martin I can't say his turn. Yeah, I was looking at this. We, we yeah. Yeah, like Vigler or something like that. So an Austrian yep. guy. He actually played in the Eisenhower Cup for Austria um when we played the, that year before, so uh, I knew him fairly well. Um, but yeah, it, uh, yeah, that just changed everything. Winning that, that's for sure. And DP, so, I think Vladimir Putin's won that for the last uh, ten years in a row. <laughs> I saw that yeah. note you put in the spreadsheet. What's that shit about? Who was on your bag? Who was carrying the bag for you? The BMW. <laughs> we just had um, we had all local caddies. Actually, had. Uh, Actually, a young girl, Caddy and Formy, I think, from memory. It was, yeah, it was just all like school kids and, and everything that were, you know, bags were on buggies and everyone was just, uh, yes, yeah. I mean, no one was travelling to, to Russia for a co-sanctioned event with Challenge Tour and, and Maine Tour. So, it, uh, yeah, trying to save every penny you could too. Trying do they, to, do, does, she get, does she get a bit of cash for that? Yeah, I can't remember what I paid her. It wasn't, I don't think did it was. You, did you couture her? No, definitely not. No, I, <laughs> no. Had, uh, I think I sent some money to um, to, to her parents' account. So, it, uh, a couple of rubles. She was good. <laughs> yeah, interesting. So did- one. We went into Moscow on yeah, I think one of the days, but it was just in this big compound. The hotel and the golf course were inside these gates, and yeah, it's just a, on a massive compound, really. A few vodkas. I'm sure I would have. That's for sure. After yeah. winning that, I'm sure you and Ormsby might have gone at a few. Yeah, I don't think Wade was there. He, I think oh, he yeah. went to tour school that – I think he was the end of that year and he went to tour school and so he was – we were both out there in 04. So, Very yeah, good. So. so then your next tour win, European tour win, wasn't for another seven years. What was that seven years like? Were you, were you chasing a, a win? What was the, the go there? Yeah, I probably had plenty of chances, but just screwed them all up, to be honest. It um, – yeah, it felt like I wasn't far off, and I think I went through a patch where, I, um, yeah, I think I struggled with my game, but just held on to my card for a year or a couple of years there. But um, yeah, I think. Uh, well, Pamps Pamps got you in the Masters, the Aussie yeah. Masters, in the in a playoff in '08 as well. Yeah, so it uh, yeah had plenty of close calls. I finished runners up New Zealand Open. Uh, probably yep. felt like I definitely should have won that one. I think Nathan Green won that. I think I butchered the finish to the finish second with about six other blokes. So that was uh, that was an expensive finish. But, um, but yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think the tournaments are just hard to win, you know, especially at that level over there. You've uh, and that's the thing when you do get a chance, you just got to try and grab it because you don't know when the next next one's going to be. So I think uh, I think I had six or seven years in between my three wins over there. So it's, uh, but you know, it, sometimes 
it feels like you, know, you do everything right, but it just doesn't go your way. And then sometimes you just kind of jag one out of nowhere. So it, uh, things just got to go to go your way sometimes as well. It puts it all into perspective, the records like Tigers and Greggs and all of those superstars when they do it, because you're 100% right, you're not winning them every week, are you? Like there's there's 150-odd people in the in the field and any of them can win it on their day. So. It just shows you how good you know, Tiger yeah. you know, was in his peak. Like he was playing against the best of the best and making him look silly. Like that US Open at Pebble in about 2000 or 05, whenever it was, he, he won by 15. Like to win a major by 15 in that field, Yes. No one will ever do it again. No way. No. Uh, that Ballantyne, so that's it in, uh, what is it, Ju- how do you say it? Jiao Jiao, Juju Island yeah. in, in South yeah. Korea? Yeah. So, it, uh, yeah, I think we've been, been there a couple of times and, um, yeah, just it was just bitterly cold. Land was like five or six degrees. And, well, yeah. it was only three rounds in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, they called the, the only decent day, well, Weather-wise, with no rain and wind, was we got fogged out. I think so. We lost a whole day with fog, um, so it got reduced to three days. Um, yeah. I think it was about the second round, maybe that got called off. So, yeah, we still played. We still finished on the Sunday, but we just couldn't get seventy-two holes in. And you beat Rummy. You beat him by uh, four strokes in that one, and he actually went back and won it a few years later. Yeah, then he got me in a playoff in uh, at Blackstone. So. Another one I felt like a well, Rummy I think doubled seventeen, and then I had a that's yeah straightforward, straightforward shot into the last reachable par um, par five and hit a crap second shot, missed the green and um, made par, and then Rummy eagled the first playoff hole. Yeah, I was just going to say another eagle, uh, you know, another uh, playoff won by an eagle. Yeah, so it, uh, yeah, no, it's, yeah, I think that taunt Valentine's I'd finished. I think I finished first, second, and either third or fourth in that tournament. So that one's uh, – I wish we were still playing. It's been pretty good to me, that tournament. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, <laughs> another tournament that did you well was the, the Maybank uh, in Malaysia, so 2016. And yeah, that's the first – that's the inaugural event, the inaugural Maybank yeah. tourney. Yeah, it was originally, um, I think, Malaysian Open. Um, then the right. promoter had a fallout with Maybank, the major sponsor, I think, and – um, so, yeah, it became Maybank Championship and, um, yeah, Royal Salinger and right in the guts of KL and, yeah, it was uh, a yeah, nice old school golf course, a bit like the Hong, Hong Kong Golf Club, really old school, um, tight, you got to, you know, play a little bit different to just bombing away and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, I, I didn't really play all that well that week but just had a, a great putting week and, and just really managed what I was doing. Even though I wasn't playing well, I managed it probably really well and just managed to have a really good putting week. And, and it's funny, like when I said before, like things just went my way at the end. I think Sumin Lee, I think he made double on 16 uh, and then doubled 18 as well. So it was a pretty tough finish, but uh, I think I finished with three or four pars. And then yeah, well, shot, so. and, um, the great Scott Hend has now got his name on the same trophy. Yeah, and, uh, I thought I had one Last over him. He just had to go and join me, didn't he? Yeah, right. Finally felt like I had one over him, but then he does that. Um, all right, same year, Rio Olympics. This is what uh, uh, everyone's excited to talk about. We, we probably didn't, you know, really get into it with Hendy as, as much as um, we should have, but that just that whole experience must have just been incredible. Yeah, absolutely. It, um, it's 
probably again a little bit naive going into it because you just assume that it's going to be another four round tournament that's what we do we play four rounds of golf and um you just feel like it's going to be another four round of it yeah once you get there and the whole build up to the whole thing you start to appreciate that you're part of something much bigger and it's something those athletes get to experience every time they've gone and we we stayed in a house um, about 10 or 15 minutes from the golf course and uh, we we didn't stay in the village so but we went in there I think two or three nights had dinner and sort of tried to um, be around the and some of the other athletes to yep. kind of experience what it was all about and it's just yeah so cool to you know once you go into that environment you, you realize that you've started something pretty big I think he, I think Andy mentioned that you were you two were just too elite for everyone else to hang out with in the village you're just uh, you know no, I think definitely Andy's a bit too too big time for that but um <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just a kid from Coral so I was quite happy to go in Oh, for sure. So did you guys, did you get to experience the opening ceremony? No, we didn't. No, we were pretty much told for safety reasons not to originally not to go. Like I was in New York, I think. I played the PGA, had a week off in New York and then went to Rio from there. So I was, I was actually quite keen to go, but they said, look, there's going to be no um, support staff down there for, for golf and, and whatnot. So safety-wise, you'd be kind of doing your own thing, so maybe give it a miss, but... I would have loved to have done it. It's probably my big regret not get, not doing it. So I've got to ask because I did notice Hendy had his uh, Olympic jacket on the other day on his Instagram. If you still you still rocking yours? Yeah, I've never actually put it on. So oh really? Um, yeah, my son's put it on, um, but yeah, it, uh, I've never actually put it on. I got out got out of the plastic not long ago, and um, he put it on, but yeah, I still haven't put it on. So. I'll, uh, Need to see. It definitely won't fit. I've blown out of it. <laughs> <laughs> now we've got a question from um, about the Olympics from Tristan uh, Marsden. So he's just wanting to know, you know, what did you have to do to get selected to play in the Olympic team, and and who were the selectors if it was a selection process? So thanks, Tristan, for the question. Uh, it, it came down to the ranking situation. With um, you know, a couple of the boys didn't want to go to the Olympics. Is that right? Yeah. So I think uh, I think Scotty was one of the first to say that. He um, wasn't going to go. I think Jay Stay said that um, he wasn't going to. And then I think Leash, obviously, with Audrey's health issues, he was never going to go. So that left, I think, Hendy was either in front. Well, Hendy and I were sort of back and forth a little bit um, who was going to get in. And then I think Hendy won another tournament, went about his 250th in uh, on the Asian <laughs> tournament. So that got him in. And then... Uh, and then I think I was next in. So then Leash actually rang me and said, uh, he has, look, I've just pulled the pin. Um, you're you're pretty much in the team. I'm like, okay, cool. So then Finchie rang me. Um, but, yeah, it was basically just went off the world rankings and just went down to, to who was available. Um, did you jump at it? Was it something that was on your radar that you're like, if I if I get the chance to do this, there's no way I'm saying no? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I was, yeah. Uh, I was all over it. I was just... Yeah, once I sort of got close or was in the mix and you kind of sensed that Scotty and Jace weren't going to go, um, Leash was at, originally was 50-50, but then Audrey got ill. Yeah, yep. So, um, yeah, I was sort of, yeah, I was jumping at the bit, hoping that I would uh, jag one of the spots, was trying to trying everything to get in, so that's for sure. You didn't come back with a uh, Olympic ring tattoo like Ricky Fowler did? No, no, I think... No. Uh, yeah, this body's not going to look great at 80 regardless. <laughs> but, uh, I think uh, with a, a tattoo on it's going to look even worse. So. 
<laughs> well, look, let's let's talk about the actual tournament itself. Like, um, you go out there and 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 shoot. I guess the you know eight under sixty three, still the lowest round at an Olympics ever. I know Cooch equaled it on the fourth round, the bastard, but um, yeah. that must have been an incredible start. Yeah, I like to tell all my mates I'm an Olympic record holder. Yeah, hundred percent, you are. <laughs> no, it, um, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, again, like it's weird because I, I uh, again, I wasn't playing that great, but you know, the putter kind of covered a few things up, and um, all of a sudden, I, got, I think I made a off the front tee. It was a reachable par five in the last, made up and down the last to shoot sixty three, and then all of a sudden, you, you know, the mind starts racing, and you you come all this way to. You think, okay, what if? And yeah, you know, still leading through two days, and then yeah, got chased down by the other boys. But uh, yeah, pretty yeah, pretty amazing uh, experience, that's for sure. To to get off to a flyer like that when uh, when it was such a big build up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, thirty six hole lead is incredible, and and to go into that weekend, was it on a weekend? I can't even remember. Was it yeah, played during? Yeah, it was so. played on a weekend, yeah, just like it would yeah. be. So so you go to to Sunday in that that final group. Um, you know, millions across the world watching. Um, yeah, that's just an incredible experience. I, I, I can't imagine how surreal that would have been at the time and even thinking about it back. Yeah, and I think it just, as I said before, like just gathered so much momentum throughout the week because the start of the week there was just no one there at the golf course and then yeah. Thursday there was maybe a couple hundred people out there. But on the last day there would have been ten or 12,000 people following our last group and... Obviously, Justin Rose and Henrik Stenson to the world's best going toe-to-toe. It, uh, yeah, it was pretty exciting. I had front-row seats to it all, so it was uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, is that course, is it still around? Yeah, apparently, yeah. I, I saw Gil Hans, uh, the course designer, last year yeah. um, at Pebble Beach, and there was rumours flying around that it was, you know, it had all gone to shit. But yeah, uh, he, uh, he said, no, it's going really well, and, yeah, golf... Uh, is improving a lot in in Rio and in, in Brazil. So yeah, he uh, he straightened that out and said, yeah, it's going well. So it, uh, yeah, it's an awesome golf course. He he spent a lot of time at Kingston Heath, Gill, and um, a lot you could see a lot of that in in that course at Rio. Incredible, DP. You got any any Olympic questions? I know you're an aspiring Olympic athlete yourself. <laughs> um, what colour medal do you get for tie fifth? <laughs> it's, a, it's a white one. It's called a piece of paper. A participation. <laughs> yeah, okay. Nah, that is an awesome effort. I mean, to come off the bench and, and go out yeah. there and you and Hendy do it. I think, um, mate, good, well done. It's all, yeah, yeah, to represent yeah, your country. You I hadn't thought about it in the last couple of hours, so I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs a tattoo, right? It's already yeah, exactly. there. <laughs> Who, so um, what were, you, what were you playing? What what clubs did you have over there? You have a sponsor at the top. Uh, yeah, I was still tailor made, I think, at that stage. So, um, yeah, it was. But, I mean, we're using all the a part of the thing. You weren't allowed to have any branding or anything like that. Mm. So it was an Australian bag, umbrellas, or uniform was obviously like all the athletes. It was um, yeah, all Australian uniforms. But yeah, it was, it was, they were really strict on not displaying any sponsor logos at all. So putting putting all of the experience aside. Do you think golf has a place at the Olympics? I think so. I think they – the only thing is that I would say is that they missed the boat first time around. That It would have been great for two guys, two, two girls to play on one team, hand out four gold medals 
Um, and because there's no other time in yeah. world golf that guys and the girls play yeah. together on the same team. And I think that's that's the platform to, to go and do it. I think it would just be the perfect scenario, perfect situation to um, to have that two guys, two girls all on the same team, part of one country. So why not? I think we yeah. play four-round tournaments every week of the year. Why why do it on such a big stage like the Olympics? Yeah, I couldn't agree I love, more. Uh, we've love, been talking about that a lot, DP. We have. Love it. Absolutely love it. That is where we need to get to equality. And um, I think we do it for the Vic Open, which is fantastic. At that level yeah. would have I been it, yeah. the best. There's a lot of – we've got a lot of um, mixed tournaments now, and which is great. But I think, yeah, I just think that's when you've got guys and girls on one team um, playing for a medal each, and then you might have an individual as part of that still. But um, yeah, I think that just uh, it's a perfect opportunity to do something like that. So we quickly mentioned before about what was in the bag then, and we we had a question here from Dean Parker Smith. Um, what clubs does he use? So what clubs? Uh, what are you using at the moment? What are you rocking? Yeah, I've got uh, Mizuno Irons. I've been um, in Mizuno Irons the last few years, so he's got the uh, MMCs at the moment. Um, yeah, so I think. Once I, I finished up with TaylorMade, I, I went to Mizuno for a year, my last year in Europe, and you know I was I kind of had the mentality that I was because I, I was out of contract, didn't have a sponsor. I would have used Mizuno irons because I think they that's their niche market, and I think they make the best irons. Um, I think Callaway and TaylorMade probably that's they own the driver market. Probably a little bit more competitive now with Ping and some others, but. Um, I think all these manufacturers have their own niche market that they concentrate on. Titleist own the, the ball market for sure. So it's um, yeah, I've got quite a bit of a mixed bag at the moment. Um, an Epic Flash driver, the new Ma- what's the, uh, I don't even know the new one, the Maverick or something, isn't it? The three wood. Yeah, the Maverick. Yep. Yeah, don't even know what it is, but that's how well I'm going. But um, yeah, a bit of a mixed bag of everything really. So Vokey wedges. Titus ball, so bits and pieces of everything. What's your favourite club at the moment, Marcus? Yeah, it's always the putter. It's uh, it's saved my ass that many times. That uh, yeah, it's uh, I've got a tailor made. I think it's an Ardmore um, putter. So it, uh, I always mix around a little bit with putters. Uh, it's always been a strength, but I kind of always like to mess about and and mm. you know, tinker a little bit with putters. Depending on different greens and, and all that sort of stuff, so it's. Uh, Did you really ever? Like you ever rock the the broomstick? No, no, it's uh, yeah, it's not a not a good stroke when I put a broomstick in. It uh, goes all over the shop. So it, uh, yeah, I've always been. I mean, that's always been my strength putting. So I haven't had to resort to the broomstick, thankfully. <laughs> like Nate's mate uh, Bryson, what's he using? One of those. Anchor don't worry, mate. He's just a oh, I mean, major open champion. All that's right. the thing I don't get is that they took out anchoring and he's got something running up his arm. Straight there. up the arm. Mm. Yeah, and he's anchoring against his other arm. I mean, that's that's what the rule says, isn't it? He can't anchor. Yeah, but he's a he's a W anchor himself, isn't he? <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I don't think... Uh, I mean, I don't know him myself, but, yeah, he's got some uh, pretty wild theories. It seems to work. Well, well hey, you bring it up. Let's get into it. So, you, um, <laughs> no, let, let's talk about Bryce. Let's talk about the beefcake. Let's 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 talk about the, the distance issue at the moment. So that's that's 
you know, there's every player's got an opinion on it. Um, you know, Fitzpatrick's come out, McElroy's come out. They've all got different comments on what he's doing. Um, look, you've you've been known as, I guess, not the biggest driver of the ball yourself. I know what you're trying to say. I hate it. No, no well, I was, I was trying to say it in a nicer way than that. <laughs> no, um, I'm, one the, I'm one of the shortest hitters out there. I, I know that, but, it, yeah, it's... Do, do you watch the guys and especially like the young guys that are coming up, even in the amateur, you know, and just these young kids that are just pounding the ball and yeah. just going, it's a different game? Yeah, I think the thing for me, I mean, it's I think equipment's forced guys to get big and because you can go at it as hard as you want now and hit it as far as you want. But I think until they bring the ball back and add spin to the ball, make the ball spin a lot more, which is going to take away because at the moment the ball just doesn't spin. So guys are going to try and hit as hard as they possibly can. So to to double the revs on the, the spin rate is, I think, the answer to it because all of a sudden if you get it slightly wrong, it's going three fairways away if you hit as hard as Bryson does. So I think then you need to control the flight. Like you have a look at all the old boys when they used to play. They were always swinging it pretty smooth, trying to control the flight into a breeze and, it was so much harder to do. Um, I mean, technology's definitely helped me, that's for sure, and it's helped a lot of people, but I don't think it's the way the game should be played. I think they need to... I mean, there's going to be some golf courses that are just completely obsolete in time because, yeah, I just think they need to add spin to the ball and that will bring everything back. There's no point trying to bring driver size, heads down, and, I mean, that kind of thing. Technology will always win there, but until they... Take, yeah, until they there's always going to be another guy that pushes the game even further than that guy. So we had Tiger and they talked about Tiger proofing courses and, you know, Augusta trying to make changes or whatever. And now you're talking about Bryson and Bryson's not even the biggest hitter on tour. I guess he's just making the waves because of the way he plays and just how much he's going after it. Yeah. Um, do you think... Do you think his game, like, you know, this is it, it's all talking about leading up to the Masters and, and what he's going to do to Augusta. And he's he's not playing till Augusta. He's going to put on another 15 pounds. He's going to bring a 88 inch bloody driver out. Do you, do, what do you see happening for him going forward? Well, I think he's going to get injured. And that's what I think he's going to yep. keep going like that. But um, the thing is, if you make golf courses longer, it only suits a, mon- a minority, doesn't it? Like, it that's right. Takes- everyone else out of it so and the thing with tiger like you you put tiger in any era and you put you put any era of equipment in his hands he'll beat most people when he's at it like he would beat everyone at his best he beats everyone hands down like no one gets close so you know i think that's where like someone like an adam scott it's technology hasn't helped him because he's such a pure swinger yeah. Um, golf and strike it like he can just strike and just do anything with the golf ball he wants to do and he's probably one of the minority that technology hasn't helped if I think if we had the old technology Adam Scott probably would have won 10 majors so it's yeah it's it's affected different people in different ways like I'm not a great ball strike so technology's helping um but yeah I think with Bryson yeah, I mean, he just goes at it so hard. I think maybe it's only a matter of time before he gets injured. And um, you saw when Jason Day was going at it yeah, so that's hard, right. he had all his back issues, and he's eased it up a little. He still goes at it hard because he's a, he's fit and he's strong and he does all that. But 
I think the way Bryson's going out is just bizarre. There's there's no one that's looked as out of control as he does, yet he's yeah. so consistent somehow with that driver because he it's like he's doing a power lift every time he stands on that tee box and he starts breathing to himself and he just goes on there and just tries to unleash and it's it 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 can't not be affecting his body in some negative way. Yeah, absolutely. It's only a matter of time. I think you can't put that amount of pressure on you. I mean, I know he's strong and he's he's put on a heap of weight and, and bulked up a lot, but to be going at those speeds, it's got to catch up with you at some point. But it's interesting because everyone talked about the US Open and Wingfoot and how his game won't be able to suit it, you know, you know, narrow the fairway, stick in the rough, and it just showed that that didn't work. If you're going to be down there far enough and you've got a wedge out of that rough, and he's had that short game was so good at the US Open. So, I mean, you know, people talk about distance and they talk about, oh, just lengthen the golf course. But financially, you can't just lengthen the golf course. Like, it, yeah. it costs a, a ridiculous amount of money. So maybe what he is doing we'll look back on because they might have the conversation and, and start to put some um, limits on where the technology is up to. Yeah, well, I think, obviously, I mean, sometimes it's out of your control with um, weather and all that sort of stuff, but firm the golf courses up, mate. Yeah. That was the thing when I... You know, Peter O'Malley always used to say, he always used to think where he was pitching pitching the ball. Um, and, you know, you have a look at Pom's record around Royal Melbourne. I think there was a weekender at the Heineken tournament where he hit 36, um, 36 greens in regulation over the weekend and he had 33 uphill putts out of 36. And it was just like, I mean, most guys weren't hitting 36 greens for the whole week. Yeah. That's just pure ball control, and Pom was yep. one of the best strikers of the golf ball. Just The ball just didn't move. It just went dead straight every time. And he, could, he knew exactly where he was pitching it. That that has kind of been lost in the, in the game. Like, that's almost obsolete now, I think. Yeah, it's a bit bit insane. I think I, I personally agree with your take on the golf ball. I think that's where they need to look and bring people back to to a bit a bit a little bit of normality. But we we touched on majors, and you, you've been fortunate. You played in 13, 13 yeah. majors, everything yeah. but the Masters. So, have you played Augusta though? No, no. I'm glad you brought that one up again because yeah, I haven't thought about it. <laughs> um, I got to I got to 51 in the world at one point. Um, yes. Got to get to fifty, but uh, I, oh. when they cut it off at the end of the year, I think I was like fifty six or something. So, yeah, all my uh, all my mates quickly reminded me about it, and because they all wanted to come to the Masters, and I stuffed it up for them, so that was my fault. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, good on you. I mean, it just looked like I've never been, but it just looks like the most amazing week. It just, I mean, I still get up first thing in the morning and watch that when it's on, and it's just. Yeah, it's one of the few American golf courses that I really would love to play. Yeah, You're saying that you've it. had 13 major appearances, like they've got to be pretty special weeks as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're just they're so different to any other week. I was lucky enough to play two British Opens at St Andrews. Um, so it, I think for are they completely different from any other week? Do you know yeah. it's major week? Yeah, definitely. You just, it just yeah. has that buzz about it, and you you know that. The pins are just going to be completely different. You know, you're going to get stuff thrown at you that you think, oh, no, they'll move the tee forward there. They don't. Yep. Um, yeah, it's it's just a proper test. Like, you, that's why there's only four of them for the year and they're, they're supposed to be hard. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're, as much as sometimes you don't enjoy battling it out 
during the tournament, at the end of the week, you just can't wait to have that chance again to go and do it because, yeah, like I think, I think they're just so unique, especially on, and the courses they play, especially the British Open. You know, as I said, to play two British Opens at St Andrews, that's nearly at the you know, top of my. Uh, I was going to say, are they your favourites? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, pretty special place. Yeah, that's for sure. It's, I've been lucky enough to play St Andrews probably 50 times through the Dunhill Links and a little bit of an amateur and, and whatnot. And it just gets better and better every time you go back. I can only imagine. I could only imagine it changes every time as well. Yeah, it's just, I mean, you you can be all of a sudden you'll be out there three or four holes in and be perfectly calm and you think what a great day this is going to be. And then the temperature drops 15 degrees and misty rain comes in with 30 mile an hour wind and you think, geez, get me out of here. Like it's just, it can be, it can just change so quickly and from day to day you feel like you're playing a different tournament. Is there a way that, you know, you say the majors are so different and, and you know, everything about is different. It, with your mentality going in and a young guy that may have never played a major before, is there a way that he can go, all right, this is just a normal tournament and go in with that mind frame or is that not going to work? Um, I think, yeah, I remember my first major was um, 2005 uh, yep. at St Andrews and I was just completely overawed. Like I was... yeah. You know, I mean, you still get nerves standing on the first hit St Andrews in a practice round. For the yeah. It's it's just one of those things. But I just, yeah, I was just shitting myself basically for the for the first day. And I just, I was, you know, it's everything I'd ever wanted to do was playing a major championship. The first one I ever played was at St Andrews in the British Open. And it's just like, I just got completely overawed by it all. Um, and, yeah, it's, it is... You got to, You do have to try and treat it as any other tournament, but it is tricky to start with. You need to be able to. I think it's like anything. You need to be able to play in a couple to really relax and and think about what you're actually doing because you do need to treat it just like any other week. At least, um, I guess, out of all the majors, having St Andrews first hole is not a bad first hole to have your first ever tee off in a major. Well, yeah, <laughs> the second time I went there, it was funny because. Um, my caddy, we were on the range and we knew the wind was going to be playing straight downwind. So we're just like, okay, it's just four iron off the tee. It's perfect. So yeah. we, get, uh, we get up on the tee and you've got this massive clubhouse behind you and stupid me says, oh, I think that wind's dropped a bit. And he goes, mate, might have something to do with that bricks and mortar behind you that's blocking the, the wind. He said, no, no, I hit five wood down there. I'll just get it down, I'll just chip it down there. And I pushed it and went straight in the burn on the right-hand side. And I was like, "You dickhead!" Like it was. I was just saying that was uh, that's on me. That that's completely my fault. And then I ended up actually having a pretty good week. I think I finished about twentieth. So it was. Uh, I uh, accepted it, owned it, and then uh, we moved on from it. But it was, yeah. You just get caught up in the whole thing, and you you get away from what you're doing. What was that of all the majors? What was your worst major experience? Um, probably the way I played at the first one at St Andrews. I yeah just. Because I said I was overawed and just not even thinking about playing golf. Um, I think Marion. I felt like I only missed the cut by one or two, but didn't really feel like, um, yeah, didn't really feel like I did a hell of a lot wrong and felt like I should. It was a really good golf course for me, and that was probably the one that I felt like I could have maybe contended at. Um, yeah, there's a, if you, I think at Troon. I think I had a terrible finish to miss the cut. 
you know, when Stenson won. So there's, there's a lot of things that, yeah. It, uh, so I think 2015 was your your best result. You tied 20 at St Andrews. Is that right? Yeah, was that yeah. is that your is that your favourite? I think so. Yeah, like obviously playing a again playing a British Open at St Andrews, but playing well. I think. Yeah, I, and getting a bit of redemption, I guess, as well. Yeah, I think we. Um, I, was, I got off to a pretty fast start on Sunday. I think I was five under through uh, about the first 11 or 12 holes and then we turned around and we came straight back into the breeze and it was I was hitting three woods into par fours and just not even reached. I think I'd drive a three wood on 17 and finished about 60 yards short. So, um, But I played with Leash, I think, on the Saturday. Uh, he shot 64 or something on the Saturday and then, yeah, he went and lost in a, he lost in a playoff that week. Um, so the yes, yeah, yeah, um, Zach Johnson, I think, yeah. So it uh, it was yeah, pretty cool to you know to go and finish. Would obviously love to contend a lot more than that, but it uh, to finish twentieth in a British Open at St Andrews is definitely you know a career highlight for me. So Marcus, you speak passionately about St Andrews. Next question is: Is that your favourite golf course? And if it's not, what is your favourite golf course you've ever played? Yeah, definitely. It is. It wasn't when I first went there and. For the first few years going there, and then it just gets better and better. You, mm. um, you, you come to appreciate it more and more when you go back. Uh, I think Royal Melbourne and Kingston Heath are, are right up there as well. I think they're just so unique and so different, and the way that it, they just feel like that's the way the game should be played. Um, and that's you know for the style of game that I kind of play, I don't hit it a long way and don't strike it like a lot of guys. And um, I feel like I, I get a lot more out of the ground on those golf courses and I feel like that's, you know, back to the way I sort of learnt to play golf. It it feels like that's how uh, it feels a little bit more natural to me and enjoy that kind of golf a lot more. And, look, we're over that hour, Mark. We've, we've really probably got to wrap time up and it's been fantastic talking to you. 2020 COVID, it sort of killed you. What were your plans? Well, where, where are you to now? What's the, what's the plan for Marcus Fraser? Uh, yes, I was just going to go up and play some stuff in Asia, but uh, yeah, that's obviously all on hold at the moment. So um, had a few things to do here at home and done all that. There's a pretty long list of things to do, but I actually enrolled in a bridging course to, that the PGA have. So um, I've yeah, going to chip away at that and try and knock that out, um, and then hopefully I've always wanted after I finish playing, I've always wanted to do some short game uh, and putting coaching. So. It's something I really, that's the one or the, the side of it I've really enjoyed. So that's something that I want to, I'd love to explore. And um, yeah, so hopefully uh, if I can get my head in the books and even though I was terrible at school, it's something that, uh, you know, I have to maybe get uh, get stuck into and yeah, hopefully I can knock that out and then be qualified to coach. And um, it's something I really enjoy doing, so. Do you mind just explaining to, to the listeners, um, you know, about the bridging course just quickly and, and what, what that entails? So I think once you've played out on tour for, I think it's about five years, you you kind of are exempt from um, a certain component of the playing side of doing a traineeship. So it's basically a, a golf traineeship condensed into a, a smaller time frame where you can do all the assignments because you've, you've pretty much completed the playing component playing out on tour. So... Um, with all this COVID thing, hopefully I'm trying to hopefully knock it out in sort of six to 12 months um, and then um, be fully qualified to be able to 
you know, run a pro shop or coach or run a golf club and, and that kind of thing. So it gives you all, it's a, it's a really good um, certificate to get. So um, hopefully I can knock that out and um, have a piece of paper to say that I can play golf because it, uh, it's the one thing after playing for a while, you don't have a piece of paper to say that you can play. Crazy. Awesome. Well, mate, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Um, we wish no you all problem. the best and, and hopefully this, this COVID shit we can, you know, put behind us um, ASAP and, Mate, get back on the um, on the tournament uh, schedule and, and and get some golf in. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be nice to get back out there. That's for sure. We're all missing it. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's a shame, you know, no Australian. It's just it's going to be a weird summer as well, not not having that golf. So, did, quickly, do we know? Is there any update on on Australian golf tournaments or or, or talk? Um, I think there's a few smaller ones getting announced for early next year, but uh, there's a few whispers going around that. Um, yeah, some of the bigger events might not happen. PGA maybe, but um, yeah, the other ones are. There's a few whispers flying around that they probably won't be on until late next year. So, yeah, it's kind of one of those things. It is what it is. We've, yeah, it. Uh, we're being, we're lucky to play the sport we love for a living, and you know, it, you realise how much you love it when it's taken away from you. So, it hopefully it's back there soon, and, and we can all get back out there and be active again. Awesome, mate. Well, yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining us tonight. Um, yeah, I, I really thank you for your time. It's been awesome, awesome chatting to you. And and like I said, hopefully we can uh, be behind the ropes cheering you on sooner rather than later, mate. Yes, I just want to. Was I better than Handy, or was Handy better? DP. <laughs> oh wow! Look, this is this is a. T- I mean, kid from Coro, huh? you've gone everywhere, and, and and you know what? You finished better than uh, Handy at the Olympics. So, um, yeah. I'm going. I'm going with Marcus over Hendy. Don't, oh, I don't... tell you what, I'm getting that clip and I'm sending it straight to Hendy. He's not going to be happy, DP. Are you on the? Um, it's Hendy's on... world. We just live in it. That's yeah. That's right. It's Hendy's world. <laughs> Hendy's Are Twitter. On... Hendy's Instagram. Headless oh, Hendy. We all love him. He's a good man. He sure is. He on the? Are you on the socials, Marcus? You want to give yourself a shout out? You need some followers. Nah, I've, I've got them, but I never use them. But uh, <laughs> I, I struggled to turn this computer on to get on here, so glad. That's my expertise. Well, you You've don't see Hendy's all- dribble on Twitter. No, I saw. Sorry, I've done that headless with Hendy one. That yeah. I reckon that's brilliant. That's fantastic. So it is good. Yeah, no, he did one with Robert Rock the other day where he dropped the f bomb straight away <laughs> or something, and he's you know he said he couldn't use it. Then he goes and throws on the outtake out there anyway. So yeah, he's a funny man. <laughs> No, Marcus, awesome, it's Mark. been absolutely fantastic, mate. A kid from Coral, and, and you've told us your story, and uh, it's been awesome to have your time so i know our listeners and watchers will be uh grateful for what you've imparted to them yeah all good no worries thanks mate we're just going to kick you into the green room again we'll wrap up here and we'll just quickly have a chat to you afterwards so thank you mate no worries all right dp how good is he absolute legend of the game mate he is a true gentleman, isn't he? He's um yeah got a got a record he's he's done a few things um olympic record yeah, how cool is that? That is cool. I mean, he worked at a supermarket. I was pretty impressed with that. But <laughs> he wouldn't tell me. I was trying to – was it Coles or Woolies? Uh, I'll have to find out. Maybe when we get in the green room, I was sort of opening it up to – The real questions. It was Franklin's back then, maybe. Franklin's, my, there you go. He seems my vintage. You wouldn't know what Franklin's is. But Mate, I don't remember Franklin's. Franklin's. Don't worry. <laughs> nah, but um, seriously. A quick... Yeah, go. BMW Russian Open won that. He's won three European tours. Yeah, look, awesome, awesome chat. 
Yeah, go no, and throw, another, throw to the sponsors. Throw to the sponsors. Another great one. Another great one. We'll we'll wrap it up here. Um, yeah, big shout out to Session Set uh, for you know being our major sponsor with the podcast and and obviously the big uh, deal that they're doing for all our listeners. If you go into Session Set, they do the craft beer subscription deals. You go in there, GDA beer, all one word, uppercase, or GDA cider, if you prefer the cider or ginger beer case option, uh, you get your $20 off. If you're in the Sydney metro area, free delivery outside of that. It's a little extra uh, and it is worth every cent. If you if you want to dabble in a bit of uh, something different from your normal your normal beers, if you're a bit, uh, you know, go into the, the bottle O and you want to try something different but you just don't know what to, mate, this is the, the best way to do it. I'm sipping on a on a uh, XPA at the moment, which I've never really explored and I'm, I'm loving the new beers that they're sending out to us. So go and check it out, session set. Dot com and Tuesday nights they have some happy hour deals as well, so you might be able to still get in there and grab it. Let's do our okay. sign offs, mate. What are we? What's our sign off for tonight? No Steve. Uh, no Steve-o. Um, I don't know. Yeah, no. We can we can we can do anything. <laughs> what's what's what, what do they speak in Rio? Brazilian. What's Brazilian for goodbye? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going down this rabbit hole with you, mate. You can do your au revoir. <laughs> you didn't watch Dora the Explorer. What does she say? She says something, doesn't she? When she goes. No, nah, it's all bluey now, mate. Ah, uh, okay. Oh, yeah. my Yeah. Let's get out of here. All right. See you, boys. <laughs> Thanks for joining Thanks. us tonight. Um, we've got, uh, I believe, uh, we can probably tell everyone, we've got Luke Prittis next Tuesday, uh, ex-Panthers player, NRL player. Luke Prittis, we're going to be talking to him um, about, the you know, the things he's doing and also his golf charity day that, you know, helps out with um, raising money for autism. For um, So that, that'll be great to talk to Luke Prittis next week and, and just something a little bit different for us, mate. Yeah, no, looking forward to it. Should be a good chat. Yeah, it will be. All right, boys, thanks for joining us and girls. um, Like I said, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and we'll see you guys next week. See you next Tuesday. Double pass sounds better than a 10. Au revoir. Ciao. Ciao, Bella. (laughs) (laughs) We're three golf tragics. We're we're weekend packers and and we love the game of golf. And I I think that... I showed you guys that on the weekend. (laughs) Yes, 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 you did. We'll we'll get to that shortly. I I just... uh, (laughs) 